I want to just share an encouragement with us as a church from the book of Romans, if I can, uh, just for a few minutes before we finish. Romans chapter 16, 16. So the book of Romans is one of the most influential letters ever written, contained in our Bibles. The English poet and philosopher Samuel Coleridge said it was the most profound work in existence. So, and as a church, we've been looking at the last few chapters of Romans each week, dissecting different bits and applying it to our lives. And we're coming to the, we're in the last chapter today. I'm going to read from it. And you might think that one of the greatest works of literature, most influential books ever written, how does a book like that end? What dramatic climax of sequence does it feature? Let's read it together and find out. Romans 16, verses 1 to 16. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, as a servant in the church at at Chentria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only do I give thanks, but to all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet, greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. That's how Paul begins his descent in the end of this letter. 26 people mentioned, including nine women, among them also several slaves and a few celebrity households. This is a church that the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, this is a church that he's never visited before, and yet he knows a lot of the people there. And this, the way that it ends, I think has a lot to tell us about what the Christian life, what church is meant to be. And I don't want you to miss the link between what we've just been doing, commemorating, giving thanks to Tony, and how Paul ends the letter here. This is the Christian life. Listen to some of the relationships that Paul talks about. He talks about Rufus's mother, who's been a mother to him. He says, Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks for my life. Andronicus and Junior were fellow prisoners with him. And he describes not, uh, not more than one of them as beloved people that he loves. And then it ends with those words, greet one another with a holy kiss. Which if you ever wondered what a holy kiss is, what the difference between a holy kiss and a normal kiss is, I'm told it's about two minutes. In an increasingly individualistic age, where we as a society are splitting down into smaller and smaller units, where we're suffering under the weight of the need for personal achievement, and where 
The most epic quest left available for many is the quest to self-actualize. Romans 16 speaks a better word. In an age where many people treat church as though it's a kind of take it or leave it, or they swap churches depending on the best coffee or kids' work or sermons, where we keep churches at arm's length, where we won't, we'll make sacrifices for everything in our lives but church, where we're happy to go to services, consume a product, but belonging to church, being part of a people we don't know much about that, as much as previous generations did, into a society like that and to a Christian church like that. Romans 16, again, speaks a better word about what the Christian life is meant to be. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor um, recently, and he said that someone in the church had recently had an argument, fallen out, and left the church over something very small. And he just said to me, he was sad as a pastor, and he said, who's going to bury them? Where are they going? Who's going to go on exploits of faith with them? Who's going to visit them when they're in hospital? As a community of faith, as a church family, we, we bought this building together through sacrificial generosity. There's no head office. It's you and me in this together. We've hired halls and run events in the town. We've been into the community praying for people. We've, we've sung carols on the streets and we all know that those who sing carols on the streets together stay together. As a, as a natural family, uh, we've had, I've had some adventures. I've got three children and a puppy now. Uh, I've bought a house. We've suffered some grief as well. But when I'm part of an extended family that is the church, you take those things and more and more and more. I know this is an unusual time for us as a church, not least because of COVID, but because of everything else that's been going on. But in the past two weeks as a church, we've celebrated with a couple who are celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. We've had two baptisms. By the way, there was a spontaneous one yet last week if you missed it. So there was one in the service and then one afterwards, uh, which we were, it was wonderful to be able to celebrate with Toya. Um, I won't embarrass her, but if you don't know Toya, greet her, get to know her, celebrate with her, was baptized after the service. We've had two baptisms. We had a wedding in the church last Monday. We are in the process of now preparing for two funerals, people that we um, knew and loved dearly. Today we've been able to stand with and pray for family members who are grieving the loss of order in their home country in South Africa. We, midweek, have been sitting with a group of friends discussing racial justice following George Floyd's murder last year and just talking about the way that that has impacted people of color in our church. We have, in the past two weeks, visited one another, prayed for those who are sick. We have cooked over 20 meals for each other and we've run groups in the building serving new mums. This is the church. This is what it means to belong to something bigger than just my domestic unit. It pulls me out of me and I and thrusts me into they and we, thinking broader. On Thursday, I was working here and uh, I, I decided to walk home and get some lunch. Um, as I, was, I hadn't gone very far at all, I was walking past Gintare's house and there was a knock on the window and she said, come in, come in. 
She'd made lunch. There was new potatoes and freshly cooked mackerel from the sea. There were people gathered around the table, six of us from four different nationalities having lunch together. Her neighbor was there as well. There was someone from the Philippines, from Lithuania, from Malaysia, and then me, a British man. (laughs) All of us, all of us around the room, around the table, with stories of God's kindness to us, All of us have learned to walk with God through storms, storms of grief and unemployment and confusion and heartache. All of us with things to celebrate together. And the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. That's what we do as the people of God. This is church. And there's three quick things or people I want to draw attention to in the things that I read. The first, I want to point out the incredible equality and value or dignity that you see here in what Paul's written. So he lists a whole range of different people from different parts of society. And what, what he does is there are the mention of rich people and there are mention of poor people. So he says, greet the family, the household of Aristobulus. Uh, it's easy for you to say. The Aristobulus and Narcissus. And these people were, um, well, Aristobulus is thought to be the grandson of Herod the Great, if you know the nativity story, that Herod. It was his grandson. Narcissus was a, a powerful family in ancient Rome, a friend of Claudius. Those members might not necessarily have been in the church, but their households, their families had been. He says, greet their family members that are in the church. And then he also says, greet Hermes, Junior, or Julia, and Philologus, which were common names for slaves in his day. So in this church community, you've got people who are related to celebrities and you've got people who are likely slaves together in church. Then he says, uh, he lists men, but he also lists women, nine of them, as we mentioned. Nine women that he he singles out for worthy of value and honor. He introduces us first to Phoebe, who's called a deacon, which is a servant leader in the church. The person who likely carried the letter of Romans to the Romans, he calls her a patron, someone who supported many and uh, even supported Paul. He's a wealthy woman of influence in the, in the society, but also known and loved in the churches because of her authority. So she is such that she had enough wealth that she could support the Apostle Paul on his travels. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is, is the... the the wife in the couple, and she's mentioned first, before Aquila. And most people will say the reason for this is probably that she was the woman, she was a woman of, of considerable means as well, of wealth. Or she was a woman that was uh, particularly useful in leadership in the, in the early church. We know from the book of Acts how Priscilla and Aquila uh, discussed and debated the gospel with some of the earlier apostles in the church as well. Andronicus and Junia. Junia, as a woman, described as being outstanding or well-known among the apostles. Again, these are women of leadership, influence, and authority in the early church. The apostle Paul is holding up in a society where women were just slightly above slaves. In a society like that, Christianity and the Christian gospel overturns the, the social seating arrangement and honors and elevates women to a place of authority and leadership in the church. And he also talks about Mary and several others who he says worked hard for us. Women known for their tough, gritty, determined labor. Just as the Apostle Paul honors prominent leaders who are women in the church, so we ought to be church families and households that 
the honor and recognize the beautiful gifts and people that God has given us, both men and women. I know many men who serve tirelessly, working hard, breaking their bodies week in, week out on building sites and in physical jobs so that they can then support not only their family but give sacrificially to God and to the church to make possible what we do together. That is a commendable and worthwhile way of serving and we want to recognize that. But nevertheless, this is what Paul does. He, he holds up these beautiful things of equality and value, rich and poor, men and women together in the household. And then the second thing, I want to talk about Rufus, um, which is a great name, and not enough people are called Rufus, in my opinion. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me. I mean, the insight into what the church must be, that even the great apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, and is, who, who, who wrote much of the books that Western civilization's been founded upon and reflected on for 2000, almost 2,000 years, even he needed a mother in the church at times to care for him. But we're talking about Rufus. Let me go to Mark's gospel, the first gospel written, chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus has been arrested. He's being led away to be crucified. And it says this, They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Rufus, Rufus, Mark was writing his gospel either in or for the church in Rome. That's what most people reckon. So Mark is writing to the church in Rome and he, and he mentions Alexander and Rufus by name and says that Rufus' dad carried Jesus' cross. I mean, what a household, what a family. Rufus' mum, but nurtured and tended for the Apostle Paul in times of need. Rufus' dad carried Jesus' cross as he's died, and now Rufus and probably his brother Alexander are in the church. That's beautiful. I find that really exciting. You don't go to a church like this. You belong to it. You then receive it into your life. You build relationships with it. It becomes a second family to you. And I think the reason Romans 16 excites me so much is because cold, informal religion was completely unfamiliar to the Apostle Paul, and it ought to be to us as well. Across a lifetime, the church, with all of its frustrations and all of the things that, you know, people will rub you up the wrong way and annoy you, the church will be there across your life. There'll be a family you'll fall out with at times. You'll need to repent. You'll need to go through seasons of real difficulty where you're having to submit when everything in you doesn't want to. You'll go through seasons in the church where you'll feel everything's going really well. You're celebrated. You're being recognized for the gifts that God's given you. You're going on faith exploits together as a people. It undulates like life. It's a people beyond your nuclear family that you can belong to, which in a society like ours that is breaking down further and further into smaller and smaller units and is suffering, suffering the consequences of it. The church is the antidote of God for the world's problems. So those two things. You notice in Romans 16, the equality and the value that Paul gives to people, rich and poor, men and women. And listen to the way he talks about Rufus and the, the wonder, getting that glimpse into the early church. But the last thing to say is the reason that the book of Romans was written. It was written because the Apostle Paul, in large part, was 
was living with a burden and a desire to share the gospel of Jesus with people who'd never heard of Jesus, people who'd never heard of the fact that, that death had been defeated, that we can have relationship with God, that the nations are included, that black and white, rich and poor, men and women can experience complete equality in the people of God. People who'd never heard of that, the Apostle Paul was burdened to share that with the world and he needed to get to Spain. And so he wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome, both to help them as a church, but also to say to them, you can help me as I'm on my way to Spain to tell these people in the the lands that no one's ever heard of, the barbarian hordes beyond us, the nations that they couldn't even imagine. Help me as I go and tell them. The whole reason the book was written was because Paul had a desire to draw more people into the family of God. That the church is both this beautiful household made up of all these different textures of people in different places, some grieving, some celebrating, alongside one another. The church is that, but it's also a church that is constantly outward looking, saying anyone's welcome. Anyone's welcome. You're received as you are with your baggage, with your hang-ups, with your questions, with your doubts, with your fears, with your uncertainties. Come and take shelter in the people of God. Come and find love and acceptance here And as you sit with us, listen as we worship and celebrate the one who's defeated death. Let us tell you about Jesus, who offers forgiveness to all, who offers a relationship with the God of heaven who created everything, who offers meaning and purpose to your life, caught up and part of this bigger people and the purpose of God. That's the church. How would Paul sign off a letter to King's Church, Seaford, soon to be Life Church, Seaford, he would undoubtedly say to us at a time like this that he was heartbroken to hear of Vince and Tony and Lydia's husband. But also he would say, I'm thankful for, to God for Vince who risked his neck for me, which he did several times up at the scaffold tower here. <laughs> and for Tony who worked hard among us. He would have said, Jane was like a mother to me, never ceasing to work hard for the gospel. Abby and Karis, daughters to delight in, and the faith of her father rests in Jesse now. He would have said, greet Uncle Bill and Fran, say hi to Jason who is outstanding among the Avengers. And is Michelle's hair still blue? (laughs) But also he would have said, if there's anyone else who's discovered or wants to come to trust the Lord Jesus, Greet them also, and may they find comfort and adventure in the people of God throughout their life. That's the gospel. That's the people of God. That's how Paul signs off the letter to the Romans. Let's pray.